Good evening and welcome back to Masks Weekly Radio Show on Family Matters. Mask, mothers and fathers aligned, saving kids, kids of all ages and all stages for all mental health struggles, including addiction. If you know someone that needs a referral for a parent support group, for a therapist, an inpatient or outpatient program, a rehab, please give them our number. And that is 718-758-0400. I'll repeat the number. Maybe it's for yourself, a loved one, a neighbor, or someone you usually would sit next to in shul. Our hotline is confidential. So please jot down our number, 718-758-0400, and share the number. There are so many people that are struggling with depression and anxiety, with addiction. Reach out to somebody. Give them our number so that you can help them and we can help them get the help that they need. If you're interested in a free naloxone training and kit, we can do that over Zoom and mail you the kit. So give us a call. That is for prevention of opioid overdose. And we are very, very, very happy to have on with us tonight Dr. Chayaliba Kobernick, who's a clinical psychologist. I'd like to welcome you on again. How are you? I'm good. Thank you for having me, and, and thank you for all the work that you do. Thank you. It's nice speaking to you again. We did this a long while ago. And it's such an important topic that we will be speaking about. Dr. Kopernick specializes in DBT, and she's so passionate about bringing evidence-based treatments to the from community and improving access to the treatments that work. She also provides mindfulness coaching and consulting to schools and organizations like MASS. She's trained in adaptations of DBT for teens and children, in addition to working with adults. So I'd like to welcome you on, and I'd like to ask you, Dr. Kobanek, can you explain to my listeners what DBT treatment is, please? Sure. DBT stands for Dialectical Behavior Therapy. So I like to explain that that means it's a therapy. It's not a medication. It's not an exercise regimen. It's a therapy. And it's a behavior therapy, which means we're going to focus a lot on how your thoughts and feel and actions are impacting how you feel, impacting what's bringing you to treatment. And DBT has this 
nuance about it called dialectics. That's the, the, what the D stands for. And dialectics is the idea that there is constantly multiple truths or, or nothing's black and white. Nothing in this world uh, is, is black and white or everything has multiple ways of looking at it. And our goal is to learn how to live a more balanced life and our, with our main dialectic in DBT being acceptance and change. So we're, we're working always to change ourselves and make our lives better. And we accept ourselves completely as we are. And both are, complete, both are totally necessary ingredients um, to making our lives better. So with COVID, there are two teams, teams vaccinate and teams don't vaccinate. And, you know, it's brought up a lot of different feelings, even within families, about situations around the COVID vaccination. Um, have you seen a lot of clients that are struggling and benefit from going to DBT so that they can have their own space and understanding of what they want to do and stand tall and, you know, about it? That, that's a really interesting question. So I guess the, the perspective of, of dialectics is that there is inherent truth in both sides. I usually like to give this example that, you know, if a if a teen wants to stay out till two in the morning and the parent wants them home by 10, what's the middle path solution? 12, right? Right. But that's not because 12 is in the middle. But the reason the mom wants the teen home by 10 is because they're scared that it's not safe for them to be out later. And the reason the teen wants to be out till two is because they want to go to this party or be with their friends till a certain time. Leaving early is not going to solve their problem either. So 12 is not in the middle. You know, getting one vaccination instead of two <laughs> or, um, or you know, being willing to meet somebody halfway doesn't necessarily respect the inherent truth in both sides. So when we work with families, that's what we're bringing up, that we have to find the validity and truth in both sides and find a solution that honestly respects both sides of the equation. So. Yes. So... Let's speak about what population is DBT best for? So at this point, DBT has been shown to be effective for so many populations. It was originally developed for women with multiple suicide attempts. Um, and those women did qualify for a borderline personality disorder diagnosis. And that's how DBT kind of got the name as being the treatment for borderline personality disorder. And it is very, very effective in treating borderline personality disorder. That said, at this point, it's also been adapted and, and um, looked at for efficacy with other populations, eating disorders, bipolar disorder, um, teens and children and adults, um, many different, also for working with depression and anxiety, it can be helpful for many different populations. That said, what I find is being the core important thing here is not the diagnosis per se, but one core thing, which is emotion dysregulation. When somebody's coming to me and they're depressed, they're just depressed, not just, <laughs> they can be really, really depressed. They're not going to need necessarily DBT. They might benefit from aspects of it. And usually there are other treatment models that could work better. 
when somebody has PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, and that's what they have, they'll, there are other treatment models that will work better, quicker, um, and, and meet their needs without needing to do DBT. When somebody's coming to me and they have emotion dysregulation, emotion, emotion dysregulation can mean somebody who is, you know, having like emotional outbursts without necessarily any other behaviors attached, but they're having these emotional outbursts where they just feel totally overwhelmed by their emotions. They're, maybe they're crying, maybe they're, you know, getting into arguments with loved ones or yelling or really just breaking down um, all the way to more extreme behaviors such as self-harm and suicidality, eating disorders, um, addiction, those other, those, those, those behaviors, when they're signs of emotion dysregulation, which means feeling unable to manage, control, or influence one's emotions, then those people benefit a lot from DBT. Now that holds true for teens as well as for children. So for adults, it can look one way, but for teens, it often looks like multiple problems um, so a teen who maybe has depression, but then they also have a history of trauma and they are also showing some um, issues with their, they're having a lot of conflict in the home. They're having conflict with their friends. Maybe they're starting to use some substances. Maybe they're experimenting with other things. Maybe they're starting to self-harm. There's multiple problems and those teens benefit a lot from DBT. And for children, um, emotion dysregulation often shows in other behaviors. So maybe they're tantruming, maybe they're having um, these like tantrums at home and at school. Um, maybe they're suicidal and self-harming, but oftentimes it's not even that. Oftentimes it's just a lot of arguments, a lot of fighting, a lot of hitting, yelling, um, being disrupted in the classroom, things like that. So the, the core issue isn't one particular diagnosis per se. It's more to do with this emotion dysregulation as being like the core issue. Um, so that that's really who tends to benefit most from the structure and the full um, treatment package of DBT. Dr. Kobernick, uh, would you just explain, you mentioned earlier about dialectical, and not everyone may understand what that means, please. Yeah, absolutely. So DBT is, you can call it kind of under the umbrella, if you may have heard of CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. We're really into the acronyms in this field. So CBT stands for cognitive behavioral therapy, and that's more of an umbrella term to talk about uh, a whole host of treatments that use um, or focus on how we think and how we behave affect how we feel. And so the problems that are bringing us to treatment can be worked on through our thoughts and through our feelings, or through our thoughts and through our actions. DBT is a type of CBT treatment, meaning it also works on thoughts and behaviors to affect how you feel. And it has the nuance of dialectics, which is this idea of, of multiple truths, of um, you know, not living in a black and white world. Um, I do like to explain that you know, as, as believing in God means that we do believe there is an absolute truth. So I think that is a little nuance. Um, outside of the traditional DBT framework, and um, and that needs to be acknowledged. And God created a world that is not black and white, and so we view things in this world with this layer, with this layer of things being um, multifaceted, of things not having just one right way. And so, you know, parents might think I'm absolutely the right one or spouses might think I'm absolutely urging a more flexible way of looking at the world. Um, I can I can love somebody and be very angry with them to the point where I even feel that I hate them. 
and that can they, those can both be true. Um, help, therapy can be helpful and it can be really hard and uncomfortable. Those can those can both be true. It's not that just because it's uncomfortable, therefore it's bad. I can kind of hold both sides of the equation there. And that's what we're striving for in DBT. And I do know that you run some DBT, very successful actually, DBT groups. So let's talk about some topics that are generally discussed in a DBT skills group, please. Sure. So DBT group um, includes four skills modules, and the four skills modules are mindfulness, distress tolerance, emotion, emotion, emotion regulation, and interpersonal effectiveness. And so we're going to cover all four of those modules in a DBT skills group. In our teen groups, which are multifamily groups, meaning we have um, teens and their parents, and sometimes siblings as well, in our groups. And in those, we include a fifth module, which is the walking the middle path module, um, which is kind of like somewhere in the middle between acceptance and change. We're, we're trying to learn how to navigate family conflict in that module. Um, Did you want to say something? Sorry, it's out, there was like some background noise. Sorry, I heard this, uh, the noise by you, so I wasn't sure if you wanted to say something. Yeah, please. Um, sure. So for, for children, um, we don't encourage doing it in a group, doing DBT skills in a group because there are so many nuances with kids between age and developmental stage and what's going on for them that we usually just do those. We do skills with families instead of with instead, instead of in a group. So we'll have sessions with children and their parents, sometimes with their parents and siblings, um, and that's where they learn skills. Um, the way that a skills group works, because people are often afraid that being in group means I'm going to be in therapy with other people, and that's really uncomfortable for a lot of people to think about. Um, and it's, I think it's important just to understand that a DBT skills group is not let's all talk about our personal things with other people. That's totally not what it's about. It's a mindfulness practice, because we all need mindfulness practice in order to be able to do any other skills. We talk about how the mindfulness practice went for you. You know, we, as, as, as group leaders, we even share our experience with the mindfulness practice. So it's all very, um, you know, cohesive. We're all working together. Then we talk about home practice. So you, we learned a skill last week. You practiced it this week. How did it go? What went well? What was challenging? And we talk about that as a group. Then we learn a new skill. And then we talk about next week's home practice. So it's very focused. Um, and it is nice to see how other people are um, learning the skills, how other people are integrating the skills into their lives, um, struggles people are having. Maybe somebody has been in the group for longer and somebody is newer and they get to see how somebody who's been in there longer has made changes in their lives and how DBT has impacted them. And that can be super powerful and useful. Uh, you get to hear other people's questions and things that people are struggling with. So that can be really helpful in your own process. Um, and this is, but it's definitely not, you know, this is what happened to me when I was a kid and, you know, sharing that in a vulnerable space, that's, which can be very useful also, but that's not what a DBC skills group is. And it, can you describe uh, emotion dysregulation like you said it's best for what would ideally that look like uh, mm -hmm. from a parent's point of view to know that oh this is something that my child my loved one would benefit going to dbt yeah so emotional regulation just broadly means struggling with managing influencing controlling one's emotions i like to explain that it's it's like 
somebody wakes up in the morning and they wake up with their emotions on a scale from zero to 100, zero five range, and then they snooze through their alarm and they have to skip breakfast, they pick up a coffee, but it spills all over them and they get stuck in traffic, they can't find a parking spot, and then somebody looks at them funny when they walk into work, and then they're pretty upset and they're at a 50 of emotion. And at that 50, they vent to their friend and they get a new coffee and they take some deep breaths and they, um, you know, maybe take a, take a walk around the block and then they're kind of back to their baseline zero. And that's really nice for those people. <laughs> but, but people who are coming in for DBT are very often waking up in the morning at a 50 with nothing happening. And then at a 50, they then snooze through their alarm, get stuck in traffic, coffee spills on them, and then they're at 100. And then they'll tell, tell themselves, well, nothing happened, right? No, nothing major happened. But those people are at 100, and 100 is a very painful place to be. And at 100, you'll usually do whatever you can do to make the pain stop because that emotional pain is so intense. And so people will do all sorts of things, all sorts of behaviors to try to make the emotion go down. And usually those behaviors actually work. Things like 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 uh, um, abusing substances, or um, you know doing things that are not so healthy with eating, or um, or self harm, or, or or thinking about suicide, communicating suicide to others. Um, those behaviors will actually work to bring the 100 down. They actually do work, and so people will continue doing them because they do work. Um, but they only work in the short term. They make your life worse in the long term. But in the short term, they do bring the intensity, the emotion down. So that's where emotion dysregulation kind of gets uh, a little a little stuck there because the emotions are getting high. The emotions are getting high fast with, with, not, with not so much going on. Um, we, you know, with, with just the daily uh, stressors of existence, those emotions are getting pretty high pretty fast. And so, and the things that the person is learning work are working in the short term, but actually making their lives worse in the long term. So that's where you end up seeing a lot of problems around that. Yeah. Um, mindfulness is so talked about these days and everybody is offering different ways of um making people more aware of things around their surrounding, around themselves, grounding themselves. Can you just explain the benefits for my listeners of the mindfulness piece when it comes to DBT, please? Sure. So, so mindfulness, we think of in DBT as our core skill. Without, DBT, without mindfulness, we can't do anything else. Nothing else can happen. Um, and that's because mindfulness is the ability to, I like to just, to just define it as uh, mindfulness means present moment awareness, non-judgmentally. So it means I'm not in the future, I'm not in the past, and I'm also not judging my present moment, which means I'm not um, in interpretations or beliefs or opinions about reality. I'm just experiencing reality as it is. So I'm not thinking um, about my to-do list of what I'm going to do later, and I'm not regretting that conversation I had with my sister an hour ago. And I'm also not thinking about this present moment, but thinking, wow, I probably sound really awkward on this recording or, um, or well, um, you know, what are people thinking as I'm talking about these things? I'm just in the moment talking about mindfulness. I'm just right here right now as it is in this moment. 
And so that's, that's what mindfulness is. And so I think of mindfulness as like the ability to have freedom of choice. If you want to have, if you believe that we as humans have freedom of choice, there really is no freedom of choice without mindfulness, because without mindfulness, it works like this. There's stimulus, reaction, stimulus, reaction, nothing in between. And so if somebody honks their horn at you while you're driving, your immediate reaction is to feel angry and want to attack them, want to yell at them, want to cut them off, whatever. And that's an immediate reaction. That's not a choice. And so if you want to have choice, you have to be able to have stimulus, pause, make a choice, and then have a reaction. And that requires mindfulness. That requires the ability to actually be in the present moment, aware of what's happening, and make an informed choice based on the information that's happening. So, um, so in the context of DBT, we practice mindfulness a lot. We practice mindfulness at the beginning of every session, and we practice mind and we learn mindfulness skills between each module. We encourage practice daily, and so mindfulness is a big part of DBT, um, and it's a big part of a lot of mental health treatments these days. And the reason is because it is so beneficial. I think of it like basic exercise. We we all know we need basic exercise for our for our fundamental health. If you are sitting in a chair all day long, it's going to be very bad for your body, um, very unhealthy for your body. Somebody who has a physical illness that, that doesn't allow them movement, that's dangerous. That's really unhealthy. And there are things that they have to do in order to keep their body moving enough to, to be healthy. Same way, if we're not practicing mindfulness, we're, getting, we're, we're, we're going to inherently get stuck in the anxieties about the future and the regrets and frustrations about the past that's inherently going to happen or the, and the and the judgmentalness is going to of the of the present moment if we're experiencing the present moment we're able to actually enjoy and live fulfilling meaningful lives so it's so part of so many mental health treatments these days and it is a big um part of um dbt in particular mindfulness is a is a basic health um technique just like brushing your teeth or going for a run Mindfulness is a, a really fundamental thing that's not just unique to, to mental illness, but it's mental wellness, I would say. Right. Thank you. So let's just review the difference between DBT, please, and CBT. Sure. So, so CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. So that's, that's a, just a more umbrella term to talk about um, treatments that focus on cognitions and behaviors in order to impact how we feel and how we're um, experiencing the world and, and um, what we're coming into treatment with, what's bothering us, what's not working for us. And DBT is a type of cognitive behavioral therapy um, with the nuance of dialectics. And, and really it's a much more particular type of treatment. So DBT does not just include, you know, a weekly 45, 50 minute session. Um, DBT has four different pieces to it. Um, it has, individual sessions that are a particular style of treatment. So um, we focus really on targeting particular behaviors that somebody wants to be different in their lives and working to change those. And so that's individual sessions and individual therapy will often include a family component as well. So maybe that's parent sessions, maybe that's family sessions, maybe that's couple sessions, but very often there's a family component to treatment as well. There's skills group which we talked about already. There's phone coaching um, for the client with the therapist. And for DBT for coaching is for the parents. And there's consultation team for the therapist. So the DBT therapist has to be on a DBT consultation team. And without all four pieces of that, it's not full DBT. So I'd like people to know that, that there are therapists who 
who sometimes may say that they're doing DBT, what they really might mean is DBT informed treatment. Maybe they're doing pieces of DBT, which can be really helpful for people. I just think it's really important to know if you're getting full DBT or not, because you might think, oh, DBT didn't work for me when maybe you really only learned a handful of skills and that that's not DBT. DBT is a, a really comprehensive and nuanced treatment that has a lot of elements to it. And, um, and without all of those different elements, it's not full DBT. So remember four pieces, if you don't have all four pieces, it's not full DBT. Thank you for that clarification. Doctor, how long uh, do people typically stay in a DBT treatment or group? Sure, so it takes six months to complete one cycle of DBT skills. Many people benefit from two cycles, that's, that's most standard, some people will do well with just one and some people might need a little more but most standard is 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 two cycles of skills so it's most standard to do one year of dbt that said dbt does have um several stages of treatment um most people think of dbt as stage one and usually people enter stage one with multiple problems multiple behaviors that they're working on and then once those things resolve, there still are stage two and three and four. And stage two is where we can get into either trauma work or maybe, maybe if there's not a particular trauma, what was, the, what was kind of the background that led you to getting to where we are? Um, so that that's, tends to be more of the focus in stage two. Once stage one behaviors are down, we can go more into um, what kind of led us here and, and also what kind of things we suffered as a result. Of, um, of going through what we went through with the behaviors um, or, the, or the things that, that led us through stage one. And then stage three is more, and four more about obtaining ordinary happiness and, and even beyond more of like um, spiritual meaning and building a life worth living. Um, um, I, I just want to, before we finish, we're running out of time. What's the research of the effectiveness in the DBT, please. So DBT is one of the most well-researched therapies that we have today. There's a tremendous amount of research on DBT and its effectiveness for borderline personality disorder, a tremendous amount of research on DBT and its effectiveness for multiple other disorders, multiple other populations, different age groups uh, for particular symptoms, such as for, just for suicidality or just for self-harm. Um, and it's been shown to be super effective one interesting thing to know is that even skills alone has also been shown to be super, super helpful um, in working with people. So, um, so, so even if we can't get full DBT treatment, skills alone can be also be super useful. And again, family involvement. Do parents come in with their child in the group or is it just separately in a therapy session? So for teens, we do require at least one parent come to skills group. Um, for adults, we don't. We just have adults. And for kids, we do it in a family. So we do all the family together, and it's not in a group. Um, and for individual session, for, for, for outside of skills group, we always encourage family involvement whenever possible. Not every client wants their family involved. And so, you know, we, we work with that. And typically, if there's any option for including family, it's going to help tremendously and make our work so much easier in helping the person achieve their goals. So we'll always be encouraging of including family when possible. And what if the child does not want anybody to go with them? No family member. 
So we respect that. And we generally find that over time, it becomes evident that if we would work with your mom, your life would be better. If we could have this conversation with your dad, it would be so useful. What if we could have a session with your spouse and we could talk about these issues and we can work out how to have them be supportive of you or what they're doing that's actually impacting your behavior. Um, and so, so people generally do get on board with that. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Dr. Kobernick. Uh, it's really wonderful always having you on, and I hope to have you on again soon. Yeah, yeah. Pleasure to talk thank to you. you. Thank you, and I want to wish everybody a very good evening, a beautiful Shabbos. And always remember, hang in, hold on, and virtually for now, hug tight. Tonight's show is in memory of Rivka Bas Yisproel. Please donate online at www.maskparents.org so we can continue to do the shows and all the community programs. Thank you and have a good night. Pediatricians now recommend the COVID-19 vaccine for children 5 to 17 years old. As a parent or guardian, you may have questions like, is the COVID-19 vaccine really safe for children? Or is it necessary for your child to get a COVID-19 vaccine? The FDA and CDC have found the Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine to be safe and authorized its use among children five and older. The COVID-19 vaccine is recommended for children five and older, just like other childhood vaccinations. Getting vaccinated against COVID-19 is the best protection against getting severely sick or having long-term complications from COVID-19 illness. Get your child vaccinated today. To learn more about COVID-19 vaccines, visit nyc.gov slash COVID vaccine or call 212-COVID-19.